Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello and welcome, you plump butternut, to Cop On Podcast. This is the start of a new season. 1920 is just around the corner. We can see its headlights on the road. It's making me all jittery, all nervous, and I'm so happy. I'm so happy about it all, and I'm so happy that you're listening. Do get in touch. Copperpodcast at gmail.com. We are also available on Twitter at copperpodcast. Podcast, send us your hate, send us your love. If you would honestly like to be on the show, I would like to keep Cop On open to everybody. So do please get in touch if that's your pickle. We've got a great show coming up. Uh, we've got Majd, who's in Minnesota. We've got Shane in Los Angeles. We have Karen in. Hyderabad in India, um, I think is a lovely show to kick us off for this new season. Thank you again. Really mean it for listening. And our first question actually today is from Majd. When did the joy of winning the Champions League wear off? Did it wear off for any of you guys yet? Yeah, oh. No, of course not. Um, no, of course not. I think about uh, the game even today. Um We've seen uh, a lot of uh, short videos getting circulated on Twitter as well, with uh, Origi scoring the winner, with different kinds of music in the background and different commentaries, stuff like that. So yeah, it's always good to um, uh, go back uh, to that day and uh, recollect all the memories. Um, I'm sitting in the exact same room where I saw the match, so all those feelings are coming right in. And uh, talking this podcast, I think it would be great to start with the Champions League final. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Is it still strong in your memory, Shane, as well? Uh, oh yeah, With, without a doubt. I'm wearing my my, my uh, I'm wearing the Champions League jersey that they wore on the parade. Like I've got the gold number six Champions. Of, like I'm wearing it right now. So like, no, <laughs> I'm still on cloud nine. Like I'm loving it. This is great. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a beautiful shirt. I know the one you mean with Champions of Europe six on the back. That's absolutely beautiful. Um, what about you, Mas? You 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 still you're still reveling in the glory of it. I'm reveling in the glory. Yeah, same. Every day I watch the highlights of the Barca game because that just is so good. And you know, when the preseason started, I kind of forgot about it a little bit, and I started to worry about next season. I started to get like anxious about next season. But every now and then, you know, it's it's still there. I'll completely agree with you, matched on that one. Like I, uh, matched I, uh, um, yeah, the uh, the Barcelona highlights. I don't watch them every day. I don't watch them every day. But like, I cannot tell you. Like, I there is no highlight reel in this world other than the Istanbul one and that Barcelona one that will actually move me to tears. Like. Because all those strong emotions and memories just come flooding back. And it's just, it, it really is, it's like without fail. I don't watch it every day, but like I, like I think around July, I was like, oh yeah, I need to watch that. And I watched the 10 minute version. And by the time Origi hits it in and everyone's going crazy, I'm like weeping. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Brilliant stuff. It is crazy, but I mean, you... 
We can't get enough. We cannot get enough. And why should we get enough of it? Six times champions of Europe. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I got a new phone yesterday. And, you know, the best thing about the new phone is not the fact that it's, you know, it's got better quality, etc. It's the fact that I, I could put a new wallpaper and lock screen on my phone in super ultra HD. I don't even have the word for it, but it's it's absolutely crystal clear. And um, so I've got uh, I've got uh, Cloppo as as uh, as my wallpaper, and my lock screen is a real zoomed-in picture of Hendo lifting the cup, and it's just beautiful. Watching those highlights, yum, still delicious. You can keep your Michelin star restaurants. I'm going to chow down on that forever. Yummy. Um, uh, this is Cop on episode 36, A New Hope. This is a new season. We're going to talk about lots of things today. We're going to talk about pre-season, the community shield. We're going to talk about transfers. We're going to talk about, you know, general excitement. Uh, VAR is going to have a look in, hopefully, if we've got time. And then Free Thought, which is a new section where our guests can research anything they want if they've already done. So I'm just chucking this at you today. And, uh, you know, you can share us, you know, just anything you want, you know, any subject that you want. And then finally, we're going to talk about predictions for what's going to happen. Um, pre-season, let's start there because uh, it's just finished yesterday. Uh, today's the 1st of August this is when we're recording this uh, episode. Um, three losses, a draw and just one win uh, against uh, decent opposition. I mean, we, we played a couple of games before that against uh, Bradford and Tranmere that we won easily. But five difficult games, only one win. Uh, no clean sheets in those five difficult matches. Um, Majd, are you are you getting a little bit jittery, or it doesn't, or you don't care? I was honestly getting jittery, especially during the run where we were just not winning at all. <laughs> it was it was difficult to watch and. Slightly worrying because the one thing we knew from last season we were really good at was not conceding goals. And at some point we were conceding for fun. Mignolet doesn't help with that because he lets in anything sometimes. But yeah, it was it was slightly worrying to see our form be like that. And what we kind of saw was that this squad is really good, but it's missing some components. And it's really hard to gauge how well we can play without our front three. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely worrying for me at least. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, without our front three, we look a bit toothless. With Mignolet in goal, I don't know. There are huge gaps, you know, bigger than you know the gap in Madonna's teeth. Um, Karen, uh, um, um, you know, it was better yesterday, though, wasn't it? I mean, are, are you worried at all about our pre-season preparations? I mean, I've been also thinking about the fact they might be tired because they went to play in America. I don't know. How do you feel about it? What's the general sense about pre-season, Karen? Um, I was a tad bit worried because um, there was no cover in the midfield for uh, for a back four, and we were conceding too many goals. Our defence were caught napping. So that was the only worry part about for me. But I think the preseason was uh, overall a, a very important one for all the players um, in terms of fitness and uh, getting that um, uh, LFC gameplay uh, back on their 
undermines and um it was really uh, interesting to watch the games played on some iconic stadiums um even though they were baseball stadiums but they were still um a really good place to play a football game um i wasn't i was unhappy with the pitch but it's okay they have baseball stadiums so it's it's not uh, it's really important at the moment um all the preseason games i'm always least worried because um i usually see these games as a sign of um getting back to the fitness levels um getting that team bonding back that chemistry that gameplay and um getting those uh, you know clinical finishes all sorts of things that you wish to see in a long season i was looking for all of these signs and i was i was not totally convinced but i was convinced to a certain extent that yes it's just preseason they are getting to their normal levels and um i don't really have to worry about despite considering goals and um despite being inactive in the transfer window so i think um like i said i'll always be calm and confident that it's just preseason and we have a really long season to go we have a great squad of players and i want to see more from these players because being inactive in the transfer window gives you mixed signals that either you are either you want to um extract more of the players that you have or you're not uh, you're not able to sign the players that you're really looking for so i think i'll stick to the plan a that i said and i'm really wishing that all the players have a fantastic season and i can't wait for the season get started i mean that's a, that's a very fair answer i mean it's been ages hasn't it shane it feels like it, i it feels like another life since the you know our last you know especially our last premier league game i mean that was that was uh, that was decades ago i mean i've i've grown a beard shaved it off since then i've you know developed hip troubles um need a cataract operation um had had one and uh, you know it just feels like yes and another yeah, really another universe but what's what have been the positives from pre-season because there have been plenty for me i think i think uh, you know hoover harry wilson you know loads and loads of different things have been have been positive as well uh, tell tell us uh, your thoughts shane oh uh, yeah so i mean straight out of club's mouth preseason is a fitness test that's what it's always been i mean if everyone remembers if you if you're putting a lot of stock into performance and results imagine well just think back to 2016 2017 that season the preseason we beat barcelona for nothing with marco gruich scoring this looping header and again that meant nothing it's not like everyone was saying like whoa like you know this is like you know it actually means something because it doesn't it's a fitness test and to 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 the point about Simon Mignolet conceding goals i know the first game he came back he arrived at like melwood and everything that day he like showed up with his bags so i mean it's just a fitness test it doesn't mean anything if 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 simon mignolet wasn't good enough for liverpool and playing under klopp he'd be on loan to besiktas right now so i just don't really like i mean we as football fans tend to i think lay on the judgment and criticism a little bit too thick when if the same sort of lens were to be applied to our professional lives we would squirm underneath it so 
I think Samuel Mignole is doing a decent enough job and I don't think he was getting any help. But again, preseason is a fitness test. It's to like get the youngsters out there, it's to get them moving, it's to get everyone trying to get on the same page. And yeah, the, the results don't mean that much, honestly. Um, I'm not that worried. I'm not that worried at all. You know what I would be worried about? I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. For example, let's say we were 100% and we were blowing teams away. And then we got to the regular season and then this little like, you know, rough patch started happening when we were trying to earn points. And we're like, uh-oh, like we're not in sync. Like I'd rather be all disjunct or that's not even a word. I'd rather be dysfunctional as a team during preseason and get and iron out the kinks right off the bat and have Allison like completely jump on a forward's foot. And I'd rather have all this stuff happen on their first day back and everyone laugh it off and be like, well, a good thing we didn't lose any Premier League points over that and then move on. It's a very good point, and I love the word disjunct. I'm going to use it uh, in uh, future conversations. It's absolutely lovely, lovely word. Uh, and you're right. Yes, of course, it doesn't matter. It's all meaningless. So, you know, there have been, you know, but there have been some good performances. I mean, Harvey Elliott and Kiana Hoover. I mean, they're, they're, you know, practically Ballon d'Or nominees in my book. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I mean, I thought they were superb. Um uh, yeah, matched any, you know, standout performance. I mean, there are a couple of things we, you know, we need to discuss. I mean, Harvey Elliott, Hoover, um, you know, you know, the young players. I mean, Harry Wilson's not so young, but uh, we need to discuss these. I mean, what do you, what's your take on any of those? Yeah, there's definitely positives. And one positive that maybe is went slightly unnoticed is that Origi continued his scoring form. The guys just keep scoring goals. So that's a good thing. It wasn't a, Maybe it wasn't a flash in the pan, and he'll just keep scoring. So that's good because you know some people doubt him, and I'm and I doubt him sometimes. But the guy's a legend, so it's good to see him continue to score. And for the kids, I was surprised to see, for example, Larusi given given the chance to play. He played a lot, and there's definitely a lot of potential in him. You can see why the club rate, rates him as a maybe we'll see him as a left back for Rabo. He he has a lot of ability, you know. He's a, has a he has an ability to beat people on the dribble. That's really his main strength. Maybe he's he's still young, so his defensive ability is not is not tested yet, and he does lack concentration. But that that'll come with, with time. So I'm really excited about Larusi as, as a left back. And for Hoover, my God, the guy is like the light. The guy feels like a even though he's 17, he's very mature. He feels like. He does, he makes the correct decisions. He never rushes into things. He he just plays above his age group, and that's always a good thing. When you have the football brain and the football ability to back it up, that's great. So he seems very mature and very capable of filling in. I don't know if we'll see him fill in because Jurgen loves Milner, and Milner will probably be the backup, and Gomez will probably be the backup. But maybe maybe in the cup games we'll see Kiana. He looks very promising. Harvey Elliott, the new kid on the block. The guy is completely ruining Twitter right now because grown men are, grown men are rattled by 16-year-olds from Fulham. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. The guy, is, the guy is, is a little troublemaker, but he looks confident. He doesn't look out of place when he played. He wanted the ball. He wanted to take control of the ball. He, he, he asked for the ball. That's always a good thing with young players is 
even if your if your ability is limited, you always want to show cojones. You always want to be yes, give me the ball, let me let me be in control, let me make things happen. That's what I love seeing. And and well, Elliot and the little cameo did that, and that's very promising. As for the maybe another academy player that we saw a little bit, Bobby Duncan. I don't know. I don't know if Bobby Duncan will be successful at Liverpool or will have a future at Liverpool, but. There's little flashes there. You can see why the club breaks him, and you can see why he scores a lot of goals. He has a tendency to be at the right place at the right time, so who knows what will happen with him. And for Harry, Harry Wilson and Ryan Kent, they're slightly older. They've been on loan. They've been successful in their loans. But it just feels like there's something missing with them to take it to the next step. I don't know. Maybe because they're a little older than the other guys. But, you know, I guess Wilson scored some important goals against Dortmund and Napoli, but something just feels not right. I don't know what it is. That's how, that's my feeling with it. Very interesting. All of that's very, very interesting. Yes, I'm, I'm, I, 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 oh, sorry, I, Maz, a couple of times you, your microphone's making a noise. I don't know if there's, if there's, uh, if you're, that's okay. I don't know if you're touching the, the mic or something, but uh, don't forget to mute it. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, if you can, if you can mute the, press the mute button as well. But uh, yes, I don't know a couple of times it, but anyway, I'll el- edit it uh, anyway. That's okay. Don't need to worry. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so so many things that are that are good to, good to, uh, good to discuss. Yes, so many things. Like you mentioned, there were so many, you know, good performances. But Ryan Kent, yes, I have to agree that I don't think he's quite made made enough of an impression, unfortunately. Um, he just, you know, we talk about brains, you know, Hoover, you can tell. You're so right, Mashed. I mean, he's playing well beyond his years. He's making the right decisions pretty much every time. He looks an absolutely natural footballer um and i can't wait to see him and klopp's actually come out and said that hoover is um you know he's gonna he's gonna get chances as backup for the first team he's gonna stay with the first team squad this season so that's excellent news i can't wait to see how that pans out over the season uh another one last thing from pre-season i do want to talk about is lalana now last year uh I, i listened back to our very first episode i recorded in my bedroom uh, with my with a friend of mine, um, just passing a mic and asking him questions, and we both were disparaging of a man who now I might get a tattoo of, a Divock Origi. This time last year, I thought he wasn't good enough, uh, but uh, you know now that's completely turned around, uh, and I hope the same is going to happen this year to another player that I insulted on a number of occasions last season, uh, Adam Lalana. Now, Karen Klopp has moved him to the six position back in sort of defensive midfield and I've got a feeling this could be yet another masterstroke from our brilliant manager because Lalana has all the technique to get out of trouble in you know in in tight spaces um and 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 as the number 6 he doesn't have to run and risk his muscle in- injuries as much I think it's a great idea but what do you think about it Karen Lalana in the 6 um I think Lana in the number six role is um, 
is one of the things that I'm looking for in the season. Um, I remember that Klopp used him in that role versus Burnley. Um, I'm not sure which game was it, home or away, but he used him in that position and he thrived. Lalana uses both his feet to get out of tight spaces. He links really well with the defense and midfield. Like we've seen in, in, in the last game of the preseason, he was really good in that position. And I really want to see more uh, of Lalana in the number six. I know we have several players who can fill that role, uh, like with the likes of Fabinho, Henderson, or Chini. But I think I'm really excited to see Lalana in the role. Um, I, I know that his last few seasons have been hampered with a lot of injuries, and um, we couldn't see more of him. But I think when Klopp came in, he was very he was one of the most important players. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but until the Europa League final, until that season, he was one of the most important players in the squad. And since then, he his seasons have been hampered by injuries. So I really want to see more of him. I know that he gets a lot of stick for um, not being available in the match squad, for being injured quite too often. I've heard jokes that uh, if he just gets up from his chair, he's going to uh, tear his hamstring or something, blah, 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 whatever. All those critics is fine. Um, it's natural for a footballer to encounter all those uh, criticism. But I'm really positive and I'm really excited to see him in that role. I'm not sure if Klopp will use him in that role, as we've seen in uh, the previous game after the uh, after the game in the post-match um, interview. Lalana mentioned that he never really formally spoke to him about it. But... Um, he really likes to play in that position. He's seeing more of the ball. And if that is something that he has to do for the team, then he's going to do it. And I think I'm, I'm going to support him um, for whatever role he's going to play, whether he's injured or not. But as long as he's a Liverpool player, I'm going to support him. Yes, that has to be the right attitude. It has to be the right attitude. Very interesting stuff. Thank you for that, Karen. Um, uh, Sunday, of course... Uh, I'm going to go to you, Shane, on this one. It's uh, it's the Community Shields. And I put a uh, poll on Twitter with which had 464 votes. So thank you, everybody, for, for voting on that one. And uh, the question was very simple. When does the season start for real? Only 41% said that it was the Community Shield. And 59% said, actually, the season starts for real in the Norwich game. Um, but this isn't Brexit. The the the, the percentage that lost the forty one percent, we're still gonna help you out and talk about the community shield. Forty one percent of fans think that it starts on Sunday against Manchester City. Um, what do you think about it, Shane? The community shield. Are you? I mean, given the precedent, are you? Are you? Are you geared up for this one? Are you thinking this is it? This is where it all starts. Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah, the season starts with the community shield. It's a trophy. It counts. It goes on. It goes on everything. Like the, it's on the walls or whatever they count it. It's a number. I think people. Uh, this is something that I found interesting. This is something I found interesting. 
I've noticed, and I might be wrong, I noticed that the same people who would say that the season doesn't start, like the Community Shield, oh, against Manchester City, no, it's for a trophy, no, it's not, the real season doesn't begin there. These are also the same people who are saying that all these losses and draws in the preseason are like a really worrying sign. And I was like, oh, well, I, I thought those didn't matter because if the Community Shield doesn't matter, the preseason doesn't matter, but now you're saying the preseason does matter? Oh, so if preseason does matter, then the Community Shield matters. That's like one way to assess it. But I definitely do think, I mean, it, it matters because it's a major trophy. We're going to have our players out there. It's a day out at Wembley. You're going to, it's it's for a trophy. It's it's a good way to kick things off. It's a good way to get the mentality going. It's just an easy trophy to pick up. And it's not going to be easy against Manchester City. Like this is kind of like a marquee primetime game that like the Premier League is almost banking money on to, to be like, hey, these are our two giants. These are our two Goliaths, our two Titans who are going to be going head to head for the rest of the season. And this is where it all kicks off. That and then the European campaign kicks off with the UEFA Super Cup. So I think those two trophies do matter. Uh, yeah. Well, is it? Well, well, no, it's an excellent answer. Thank you for that. It's, um, you know, I completely disagree with you. Though. I mean, that's fine. Football is a game of opinions, as they say. But, uh, you know, if you were to plot it, Shane, if you th- think that it is important, um, if you were to say on a scale of 1 to 118, where 1 is incredibly important, the most vital thing in the world, and 118 is utterly meaningless, what number would you give the charity shield? Hmm, I would say... Well, so then I have to evaluate how much... Uh, does it mean to me to have the number underneath the community shield on our wall of champions, the honors, the honors count? How much does it mean to me to have one of those numbers increase by one under Klopp? It kind of means a good deal to me that more of those numbers go up under Klopp. So I'm not going to say the community shield is number one, but under Klopp with Mo Salah, with our team, with how everything is in this era, this family, everything else, I think almost just a chance to win another trophy with these guys, with our boys, with our lads, kind of makes it even more valuable to me because I have such a strong connection to them. So I guess if I had to put a number on it, you know, Premier League's number one, uh, you know, Champions League is, you know, 1.52. You know, it's probably, you know, it's probably a 30. A 30 on the scale of 118. That's okay. Would it, would it change your mind uh, if... Um, you learned that it's actually not on our champions wall because I just googled it. I wasn't sure the the the, the champ. Uh, sorry, the charity shield or community shield is not on the champions wall. Does that change your mind, Shane? Uh, 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 yeah. So it's not on the champions wall, but there's like the uh, they have like the major honors, like just like in the the catalog records, and then the ones that they consider major honors are like uh, you know the 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 UEFA Cup. Uh, the, you know, the old big years, Premier League, you know, the league, the top flight league one, uh, FA Cup, EFL Cup, and the Charity Shield, Community Shield. And then I think they might even count the FA Youth Cup in those numbers, if I'm not wrong. But, uh, you know, so it's not on that, but just, I'm just saying, like, for the records under Klopp, it means something to me. And a 30. I'm just saying a 30. 30's good. It's a, it's a marvellous answer. What about you, Mast? How do you feel about it? And what number would you give it out of 118? It's a tough question to ask, but this is how I'm approaching it. If we win it, I'll care about it. If we don't, I won't care about it. That's it. <laughs> because that's how it is, really. If we win it, it'll be a huge confidence boost. 
we will say we, we beat Man City. It's a good psychological advantage. If we don't win it, no one really cares. That's how I'm approaching it. And I, I really won't be upset if we don't win that much. So that's really my my honest opinion. Uh, on a number, I guess, on a number scale, I'll probably put it at 70. 70. That's a marvellous answer. Thank you very much. Karen, how are you feeling? And what number would you give it? Um, it's difficult to put a number to it because the scale is from 1 to 118. So um, I'm thinking what would be the segregation for each trophy. But overall, I think it is something to win for. Um, we'll be playing against uh, one of the strongest teams in the Premier League. So um, to defeat them before the season starts will be a major boost in the confidence. And um, I think uh, winning something at a club is a re- really good feeling. It's a special feeling as we've seen by winning the Champions League. So um, even though it's just a charity shield, um, pe- some people say that it doesn't really matter. Some people say it does matter. But for me, if we have the chance to win something, then it really matters to me. So I'm going to scale it high to about five. Um, one being the Premier League, two being the Champions League, and so on and so forth. So I think whatever number comes at the end, of the possible trophies that we're going to win. Uh, Charity Shield will be at the end of it. So whatever number would that be? Seven, eight, I don't know. Well, out, out of 118, can we call it uh, Can we call it um, uh, 80? No, 80 is, is too far behind. I'm saying okay. like uh, on a scale of one, like Premier League would be one, Champions League is two, FA Cup is... Oh, no, 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 you can't change, you can't change the scale, Karen. You can't change the... All will become clear after, but I need it out of 118, please. Right, okay. Um, in that sense, uh, probably around 30 will be fine. 30 as well, that's what Shane did, so there you go. That's it, very interesting, because Shane uh, and and you, Karen, you, you both went for zinc, if it was the periodic table of the elements, whereas uh, Maj went for 70, which is a very interesting answer, because on the periodic table, that's one called Eterbium, which was discovered in 1878 by Jean-Charles Galissard de Marignac. Um, its uh, relative atomic mass is 173.045 for all the chemists out there, but you probably know that. Uh, I'd never heard of it before in my life, Eterbium. And for me, it's much more Eterbium than it is zinc, uh, which uh, is very useful, uh, especially in Paris. Uh, anyway, right... So I think it's a bullshit competition. I'm a little bit with Majd, unless we win it. And then it's a marvellous competition. And, I've, you know, I'd be delighted and I'll be cheering uh, as uh, Hendo lifts another one. But uh, if we lose, I don't care. And, uh, you know, one thing to note, I think, is, is uh, you know, in the last, I think it was five years. Yes, discounting this year. Uh, so uh, until... Yeah, from 2013 to 2018, one team has won the Charity Shield three times. And I bet you nobody listening to this and none of my uh, guests today will be thinking that that team was Arsenal. So it's a bullshit competition. doesn't tell you anything about the season to come. It's a one-off friendly, but that's just my opinion. And uh, Karen and Shane both think it's zinc. If I may add just one thing, if I may add just one thing, it is, it is, it is another installment. 
in the ongoing battle between Klopp and Guardiola and their long storied history for trophies. So that's that's the that's the that's a bit of it. But I do love your periodic table of elements, and I will point out that your reputation, Owen, precedes you so much that all of us thought you were like literally talking about all of that off the top of your head. Like no one, none of us considered that you actually had Google in front of you helping you. We were like, no, he just knows all of this. <laughs> no, I wish I had a terrible memory at school, and it's got even worse as an adult. Um, Yes, people sometimes accuse me of being intelligent, as Stephen Fry once said, that people accuse him of being intelligent sometimes, but he actually is. And I've just, I don't know, uh, I, I wear glasses and people jump to the wrong conclusions. Um, transfers then. Uh, um, Aston Villa, where else are we going to start? Aston Villa have signed 12 new players this summer. Um, according to at Semper Football on Twitter, they've signed 12 new players and they've spent about £132.5 million in total. We have signed nobody. Majd, do you care? Ah, uh, yes, I do. Not because I just want signings for the sake of it and not because I think the squad is poor. I think the squad is really good. And we really just need one or two signings to take it to the next level. It's just that we're competing with a freaking machine. We're competing with robots, basically. They will get 100 points next season. They will get close to 100 points next season. And that is the challenge we have. We are. The reason I'm concerned about the lack of signings is there's a bit of standing still with what we're doing. We're in a position of strength right now. We're in a great position. We just won the Champions League. It was magnificent. Everybody watched us. Everybody talked about that Barcelona game. And it just feels like we're not using that leverage right now. We're not using it. To, we're not using our full power to grab this opportunity and attract the players that might not be, might not that may have been attracted to us this season, you know, someone like Nicolas Pepe or someone, someone like that, you know, it would have been a great, a great time to do this, especially after winning this major trophy. But, and the reason I'm concerned, as I said, is we're competing with robots. We're competing with such a good team that it's really hard to ask this same squad that yes, last season we competed in in the Premier League and the Champions League. But we suffered from a dip in form, multiple dips in form. We couldn't compete in the domestic cups, for example, with our current squad because we had we had tough draws, but it was difficult to even compete with our second teams. And that's the problem. We're just we're a little short in the attack, in my opinion, to to really, really put, give us an advantage over City. Right now, we're probably level with City because they just lost company. But if we really want to get that advantage, we might have wanted to sign another attacker that really can give us 20 goals guaranteed. And that would have been a really good advantage to have. So that's that's where I stand. But if we don't do anything, we don't sign anybody, we'll just have to trust the squad to do what they did last year and pull a miracle. I mean, Jurgen loves miracles. He really can overachieve and always does with the, this, this team he has. So... I trust him to overachieve and I trust the squad to fill a miraculous season again. That's a lovely answer. Yes, exactly. He does love a miracle, uh, does our Jürgen. Um, what's your take on it, Karen? Um, I'm, not, I'm not too worried, but 
Um, I'm just uh, waiting what exactly Glock wants to do with the squad. Um, because uh, as Matt said that last season, we couldn't compete in the domestic cups uh, with the squad of players we had. And it was, even though we had difficult um, teams to face, um, the the second teams or the third teams that we had were, were not able to compete with them. And we took those competitions, uh, we uh, knocked out of the competitions uh, early. So I think this season, um, we're not going to repeat that. I have that feeling because uh, I think Klopp uh, has plans for all the youngsters to be involved in the domestic cups. Um, as as you remember that the first half season that he came in, he used all the available players in his squad for all the competitions. He was trying to find out what player does exactly um, suit what kind of game. And I think Klopp is thinking to do that this season. Um, we had a, a lot of uh, transfer rumors. Uh, we were linked with so many players, but we couldn't really sign any of them. But that's okay. Uh, we always have the January transfer window. So I think, in my opinion, um, Klopp will see how does the season uh, progress until uh, the January because we have a very busy um, Christmas uh, period. And I think that is these, those will be the games where we will exactly find out where are we really lacking, um, what kind of players do we need in certain games. He will have like a clear picture. Uh, that is how I see it. Um, I'm not too disappointed uh, by uh, not signing um, any of the players, but I think we've, we've invested in you. That is a really good sign. Um, giving chance to Kiana, uh, signing Harvey Elliott and Seth Vandenberg. I think that's that's a really good sign um, when, when you're thinking about the future. So um, I'm just going to be patient to see um, what Klopp is planning to do with the squad. And... Um, I think we should really go all in for all the competitions with all, with all the players that uh, we have. And if we are able to win a couple of domestic cups in the Premier League or the Champions League or something, and that will be a successful season for me. Oh yeah, I mean that's 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 a lo- another lovely answer. Another yeah, you covered a lot of things. There. It's it's really yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you were talking about Christmas. Just just quickly to go through December's fixtures. Just December's. Uh, we've got Everton at home on December the fourth. Easy three points. Then we got uh, we're away to Bournemouth. Then we're. Um, we've got the Champions League group match day 6 on December either the 10th or the 11th. Then on the 14th, we've got Watford at home. Then on the December the 18th, we're going to the Club World Cup in Qatar for the semi-final on the 18th. And then uh, either the final or the third place playoff is going to be on December the 21st. Then we're flying back. And on Boxing Day, we've got Leicester away. Then we've got Wolves at home on the 28th. And then on the first, we got another game. And then, I think, then, like you mentioned before, that might be a good time to assess our options, uh, Karen, and see what we can do in January if we need to bring in more people. But yes, you're right. It's good to bring in the youngsters, isn't it? Mm. Maz, you got something to say? Remember that one summer where we were trying to sign Van Dyke and we really couldn't do it? And we had to... And after the the... The club made a statement that we were not going to sign him. We were done pursuing him. And everybody panicked. And we all panicked. We thought we were not going to get Van Dyke. We're not going to get the center back we, we wanted. 
to take us to the next level. And then in January, it just came out of nowhere and we got him. Maybe Klopp is planning something like this. Or not planning, but like maybe he's just waiting for the right player to be available at the right time. That's been a theory going around. And I'm, I'm behind this, if that's the case. That makes a lot of sense. To, and who knows, maybe next year Pep will leave and that'll be a great year to capitalize and win the league. I don't know, or, or make sure we win the league, you know. That's very valid. No, it's a very, it's a very, very valid point. Exactly, a very good point. There might be something going on in the background that we have no idea about. Of course, like the Fabinho move or Andy Robertson. Absolutely brilliant. And that brings me to to a tweet that I absolutely loved, uh, which was by at underscore s u m x o sumps. The signing, Andy Robertson was the signing that taught me that we know nothing and Klopp knows everything. Shane, should we strengthen or should we just all, you know, accept it and, uh, you know, just, just, just completely trust the transfer committee and, and Jürgen? I mean, I honestly think we accomplished... Uh, what we I think we accomplished the signings that I thought we would that I said in our last previous podcast that we would do I said that we would need to sign a defender and that we would need to sign a forward and we have uh, yeah they're they're younger kids but I think uh, when it comes to the transfer stuff <clears throat> we're we're in the outside world we're not part of the industry we uh, are you are Owen but I'm not and I uh, and from my understanding is that there's there's so much that goes into play when it comes to transfers it's not FIFA ultimate team where you spend coins and you just assemble Europe's all-stars that that would in reality create a very lopsided team you have to have different players at different levels who are paid at different wages who serve different purposes and it is this conglomeration utilizing for like a team so it's not I think we on the outside think think of it differently because uh, for example Nicholas Pepe right now the wage structure he would have totally like imploded it and then we also gave wage increases to so many of our stars last season Sadio Mane, Bobby Firmino, Mo Salah, Andy Robinson, Virgil van Dijk towards the end of the season we all gave them wage increases so you have to have you can only have so many stars at that superstar level at those superstar wages um, so, and then not only that, but whenever you make a transfer, not only are you like just, it's not like you just get the player. You're getting in bed in business with the player's agent. For example, Delict. I would, like, I think we did a, a, a Seth, I think we did a much better signing by signing him as a, as a Dutch defender than signing Delict because Delict's wages were out the wazoo. And also, I would challenge you, I would challenge anybody to try to find an article about Delict's agent that doesn't basically come to the summation that like he's a slimy, skeezy, money-grubbing guy. Like I cannot find a single really good positive thing about this agent. Like so, I think there's just a lot of things going on that it's just that go on behind the scenes when it comes to accounting, when it comes to numbers, and for what we have, what we have going out, how much money we're shelling out each month anyway or each week, and all of that that goes into play. And I do agree with everyone else. I think if there really, really, really was the number one right player for the type of solution that Klopp thinks we need, I think we would have spent money and bought him. Uh, and I think uh, I think we've done. I think 
unless we've got some sort of surprise coming, I think we're probably done in the transfer window. And yeah, I completely agree with what you were saying about January. There might be that big signing that people are like, oh, I just want a big signing. That might come in January. So, yeah. It might come in January. Yeah, exactly, as we were saying. But uh, no, that's an excellent answer. Excellent answer. Um, moving into the season then. I mean, general excitement for the season. Uh, we actually had a question from at Melbourne Red one Thank you very much for that question. And he asked, or she asked, uh, what will be considered a good season if we fail to win either the league or the Champions League? Of course, you know, we, we, we're likely to be contenders for at least one of those, the league or the Champions League, you would imagine, given the quality of our team, if we can stay fit. But uh, Karen, I'm going to ask you first, what will be considered a good season if we don't win either of those? Um, since Klopp has arrived in Liverpool, he hasn't lost uh, a two-leg tie in Re European competitions. Um, we have always progressed around, so I'm very hopeful that we will retain the Champions League. It will be difficult this season, more difficult than it was in the previous seasons. But I think we, we have a really good chance because um, looking at the progress we've made um, and establishing ourselves again as the powerhouse in Europe, I think Champions League would be realistic to win. But if we can't win and win a Champions League and we miss out on the Premier League as well, then probably winning the domestic cups and um, challenging City or whoever wins uh, uh, the Premier League, if you're able to challenge them right till the last game, then that would be a success for me. Like, uh, it will be unrealistic to repeat the same what we did last season. I mean, winning the Champions League, finishing second in the league with 97 points, um, and missing out the league by just one point. I think if we are able to cross 90 points uh, the season, um, uh, fighting for uh, fighting for the title and winning few domestic cups. Um, also, uh, speaking of the players, if they are able to improve the game, if they are able to develop that mentality that um, if you are a goal behind something, we need to win the game, not just draw. We need to win the game so that going that extra mile, um, you know, putting in a lot of effort than we did last season, I think that would be a good season for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 going to be very difficult, in my opinion, to 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 repeat what we did last season because ninety seven points was amazing, and we did get those those uh, those results that you know were slightly fortunate, let's say. But uh, you know, there are other games where we were unlucky. But um, I think uh, you know, ninety seven points was 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 utterly incredible, and, and if it weren't for this this beer moth, this this huge team, Manchester City. The, I mean, you know, it, there's a big data article you found, I saw, Karen, that said that uh, um, City will, you know, are likely to win the league based on, uh, based on what, some kind of big data? Is that right, Karen? Yeah, it is right. But uh, before I speak about it, uh, I'd, lo I'd like to add uh, another point uh, where I spoke about successful season. If you don't win uh, the major trophies, um, if you remember that uh, we had several draws, several unpredictable draws 
few disappointing ones like against West Ham and Arsenal, Man United, Everton. If we are able to win such games, and if we are able to improve on such games, like there were games where I couldn't generate a, a result. So if you're able to generate a, a result out of it, that will be an improvement. So I'm, I'm looking for improvements rather than feeling the exact uh, same season or something better than that. Um, yes, speaking about big data, it's basically uh, data science. Um, what it means that um, uh, in data science, you have raw data which is fed to you. And this raw data is basically all the accumulation of say last season's uh, uh, data like who scored the goals, um, who scored the most number of goals or assists, how many minutes this player has played in the league, etc. etc. So you have all sorts of these attributes about a team and about a player. And um, so this is what is in hand uh, to you. Now you need to generate a, a model out of it to predict what is going to happen in in the next season with the data in hand. Um, the the next season has not been played yet, but you're predicting it. So um, basically there are several types of models like there's this thing called regression model. There's, there's so many uh, kinds of uh, models that you build on the data and you generate results out of it. Um, data science, uh, I'm studying data science right now and it's something that is uh, very interesting and that is uh, booming right now because um, it helps you to generate solutions to the problems given to you. Um, for example, if, if you are working for a business organization and you want to launch a new product in the market, you would use the data in hand to you to find out where exactly would my product be hit in, in a certain area of the city. And what kind of people are, are, are going to buy it? Are, are they going to be students? Or are, the, are they going to be um, university students? Are they going to be uh, people who work in an organization? Or are they going to be old people, widows, etc., etc.? So um, in that way, you can predict what is going to happen. Um, and that is exactly what Big Data has done. And in the article that I've shared to you, um, that's basically what happened is, BT Sport, as what I've read, BT Sport have commissioned Squawka and Opta using Google's cloud plan to script the entirety of the 2019-2020 campaign. And according to them, they've predicted um, several things that uh, City will win the league, will finish second by six points, Tottenham and Chelsea will make up the final Champions League spots, uh, Norwich, Newcastle, Sheffield United will get relegated, etc., etc. Um, so this is based on um, the previous data that is available to you, um, and you can do a lot of things and predict whatever you want. Like for example, who's going to win the Golden Boot next season, and so, all sorts of things. Well, so excellent description. It's lovely to speak to a data scientist about this big data. So thank you very much uh, for that. Yes, it said they said that uh, Arsenal, Manchester United will just miss out on the top four. Uh, Newcastle, Norwich, and Sheffield United will get relegated. Mohamed Salah will win the Golden Boot with twenty nine goals, and Raheem Sterling will get the most assists with thirteen. But I'm going to call bullshit on that, even though it is there is a science to it, uh, because I think. 
Uh, the only thing they've got right is that Salah will win the golden boot. But I've got a sneaky feeling we're going to do it. I do. And I wonder if you've got any predictions, uh, Maz, uh, for, for the season to come. For example, I don't know, with, uh, you know, what are we going to win? Um, you know, would you would you be terribly disappointed if we win neither the, the league nor the Champions League? I don't know. How do you, what's going to happen, Maz? Oh, that's the difficult part. The one thing that I can guarantee is that we're going to win some trophies this season. Whether those are big ones or not, I don't know. We're winning. We're definitely winning two of the three smaller ones. We're winning the Super Cup. I'm convinced of that. We're winning the Club World Cup. I'm convinced of that. The Community Shield, who knows? It's a 50-50 game. As for the two big ones, I don't know. It's really difficult to predict. For the Champions League, I actually, you know what? I feel confident about the Champions League for one reason. Jurgen Klopp and Anfield, we just have this magical effect on any team. They just can't beat us at Anfield. There's no way a team that's, is going to come to Anfield and knock us out over two legs. Even if the second leg is away, like we, we knocked out Bayern and the second leg was at their home. So I feel really confident in the Champions League because of our system, because of our starting 11, because there isn't a lot of games as a Premier League, so, you know, squad depth and stuff like that shouldn't be a major issue. Our starting 11 is good enough to knock out anybody. And to get to another final, I really think we can get to another final. So that's my opinion on the Champions League. And I'll, I'll be slightly disappointed if we get knocked out early, but it all depends on the circumstances, you know. If we, if we get knocked out by penalties, then you can't really complain. If you get knocked out by losing 4 or 5 nil, then there's a problem. You know, it, it depends on circumstance mostly. For the Premier League, basically the stacks, the, the odds are against us. Everything is stacked against us. And if we win up, if we want to pull this off, we're going to have to overachieve. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be incredibly difficult. We're going to have to improve. It's really difficult to improve from 97 points. But what we really should improve is the way we dominate games. So the major difference between us and City is that City can completely dominate a game. They can completely annihilate teams, completely eliminate any sort of threat on their goal. They can camp in the second, in the opposition's half all game and keep the ball incredibly well. So they have an ability that we, we're still learning, we're still evolving as a team. And that's the one thing that I think we have over City. City, I think, have peaked. They've already achieved their maximum potential. I don't think they can get better than that. We still can get better. We can still control games better. We have players coming in that are gonna that are gonna do a lot of new things. We have Ox, Fabinho, Keita. Those are three players that didn't play a lot last season, didn't play the full season, played half a season, some were injured, stuff like that. So when you get those three new midfielders, give them a whole new a full season to play and to and to contribute, they could be game changers. Who knows? So there's a massive upside. And our front three are going to do their thing. They're going to score goals. They're going to win us games. They're really the only threat we have. So we're going to depend on them again. And Divock and Brewster. I forgot to talk about Brewster this whole time when I talked about the youngsters. Brewster could be the surprise. Could be the guy that comes in and scores unlikely goals. Who knows? So what I see is we will have to overachieve to win the league. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be incredibly difficult and frustrating. And it might have to be another Aguero moment, like you know, like City had when they first won the league. 
it might be we win it on the last minute of the last day. That's what I feel. I'd probably die if that happened uh, with joy and excitement and a heart attack. Uh, but it would be a great way to go. Um, it is going to be difficult. It is going to have to be an overachievement. I don't think that's a brilliant uh, word for it, Maz. Thank you for that. Shane, I mean, there's something else we haven't spoken about about the season to come. And that's given Manchester City's reputation. They got 100 points followed by 98 points. Everybody's terrified of them. Even though there was just one point between us and them from last season. Even though we lost less or fewer games than they did. Um... Uh, Shane, there's there's this thing that I'm a little bit worried about, that every team almost is going to be scared of City and every team is going to try extra hard against us because we're European champions and nobody really likes Liverpool. And, uh, you know, even Manchester United would prefer that their City rivals Manchester City won, won the league as, but you know, compared to Liverpool, nobody likes us, and even teams that we don't give a crap about hate us with a passion for some reason. What was it? What were Wolves fans singing? Remember, they were you know insulting us and you know singing you know songs about us losing the league. We don't give a crap about Wolves. Why do they care about us? So this is going to make our season even more difficult. How do you see it panning out, Shane? That's very interesting. Uh, I see what you're getting at. I see the point you're making. Um, I, I think I view it a little bit differently. Um, so, for example, I think the teams that are going to be scared to play Man City are going to be the teams that are scared regardless of like a top six opponent. Of like who they're, like These teams are going to be scared of playing Tottenham. These teams are going to be scared of playing us. I think those kinds of teams that are going to do that are going to be that way. When it comes to those big six opponents, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, just looking at the joy that Chelsea had whenever they beat City last season, like they were, they were so ecstatic that they pulled one over on them. So I think, I think when it comes to the top six teams, I think they're all going for each other. And I think, I think it does seem like, oh, it does seem like teams might back off from City. But I just think City dominate in a certain way against some teams. Um, but I really do think everyone in the top six is really trying to knock off, is really trying to knock off the other one. And then also Leicester was really going for City, and they got a result from them. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I think. I do think there is something to say about knocking off the champions of Europe. That might come more into play in our European campaigns and against, the obviously, the big six opponents. I think we saw that. I think we saw a lot of that in preseason, honestly. I think that's where, you know, why Sofia was so rough. I think that's why uh, Sporting Lisbon was so rough, as I think they felt like they had a chance to pull one over on the quote-unquote champions of Europe in preseason. So I think that might be some of that. Uh, but, yeah, I think all of that's going to come into play, but... I mean, do you think Owen? Let me let me let me end with a question, Owen. Do do who do you do you think anyone isn't scared to play Liverpool? It's a very good question. Um, I would be freaking terrified if I was up against us. I have to say, um, yeah. But I mean, you know, but it's just the idea of there'll be there'll be fear, but then there'll be this kind of extra, exactly as you mentioned, you know, severe and sporting these, you know, shithousery tactics of uh, just kicking us, you know, 
kicking us and then one of our players could get injured because because there's this there's almost a I, I, you know I don't want to use the word so much but you know there's almost a jealousy of other teams they hate our success they hate the fact that we're six times European champions and a lot of them haven't even come close to qualify for the Champions League um, you know imagine how an Everton fe- fan feels uh, you know the, the, the Everton players I mean the, their fans would consider it a victory if they lost 3-0 but you know you know that one of their players elbowed Virgil van Dijk in the in the head for example I mean they would they would like that some some Everton fans the bad ones and they're not all like that of course a lot of them are very generous and nice people but uh, I'm just thinking about the rivalry uh, I don't know I but I think we're going to do it and I think one thing that's going to help us is VAR um, I can't remember the stat now, but we've had, um, you know, something like three or four penalties in in two or three years at Anfield, or something ridiculous like that. And there have been so many more. And uh, you know, one that stood out for me was Naby Keita. And these are the last two things that I'm going to talk about today that we're going to talk about today: uh, VAR and Naby Keita. Um, and I'm going to start with VAR. Um, and I'm I'm going to go straight uh, back to you, Karen, on VAR. Um, I'm for it personally. Uh, are you for VAR? Do you think it will help us this season? Yes, I think VAR will help us this season. Um, like you pointed out, um, um, that uh, last season where there there are a few situations where uh, we, we we should be awarded penalties. But just because we are Liverpool, they just uh, the referee I think completely ignored uh, that situation, or he didn't see, or whatever his stupid reasons are. Um, but I think uh, VAR has not been a total success, but it can be if experimented more. So I'm really excited to see what is going to happen in the Premier League. Um, I have mixed feelings about VAR, but. Um, as long as it's uh, as long as we are playing, it should be in favour of us. Great answer, great answer. Um, I mean, what are your reservations? You say you got you got mixed feelings about it. What what expand on that for for us, Karen? I mean, why 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 could it be a bad thing? It, it could be a bad thing that, um, for, for example, if a player is being brought down in in the box and we think that it's a penalty, but VAR does not award it, and the player gets. It gets a card for simulation, something like that. So, you know, it, it could go the other way. Um, I, I don't remember if it has been uh, that case, but I think that these are some of the situations where I think PI is going to fail. And another thing is that um, the timing, uh, well, the, the time it takes to give a verdict, I think that's going to bring the tempo of the game down. It will help the players to uh, cool down and... Um, you know, get there, you know, relax for a while and then then get the game going. But other than that, I think these are the only two constraints for me that the amount of time that is being wasted to uh, generate a verdict. And another thing is that when we genuinely feel that it's a penalty, but uh, VAR does not award it and the player gets, uh, gets a yellow card or something and, you know, something like that. So I think these are the sort of mixed feelings I have about it. Yeah, that could happen. That could definitely happen. I mean, they they are the grey areas of VAR. Uh, where do you stand on it, Majd? 
Uh, I'm all for it, honestly, because defenders have been getting away with bullshit for too long now. Like, learn how to defend. Don't grab players. This is football. This is not wrestling. Stop wrestling players to the ground. Stop grabbing their shoulders. Get the ball with your feet. If you can't do that, you made you made a mistake, and you should be punished for it. I'm sick of defenders getting away with so much crap inside the box just because it's inside the box. I don't under, I never understand the penalty situations. There's just something wrong about it. Anyways, I'm all for VAR because, for example, Salah gets kicked all the time, and he never gets penalties. Naby Keita, one against Leicester and one against Southampton away, if you remember, never gets penalties for some reason. Because Premier League referees are honestly crap. They're inefficient. Some of them are fat and not fit. So, and they're so inconsistent. They let their emotions uh, get into it. They're just terrible. I really dislike Premier League referees. So, let's get VAR in. Let's get technology. Let's get it replayed because some of them are complete morons and they need help. So, that's my, my way. My that's, I mean, I like it, very honest, exactly. And, uh, you know, um, it is a difficult job to to be a referee. Um, I've actually met a few referees in my life, actually. Uh, and it is a difficult job. But as I said at some point last year, the Premier League referees make a difficult job look impossible they are moronic they are incompetent yes you could use words like that um and you know very few people would disagree with you so surely shane we are generally although there are some problems with it, there are some gray areas we are unanimous that it's it's a good idea right shane you agree as well i do agree that it's uh that it's a good thing i think it's the right step in the future i am actually a state certified referee so uh <gasps> coming from someone who has sent uh sent a refereed games and who has also ar games as well um, it's being a center referee is very difficult. It's much easier if you have a camera that is elevated, you know, uh, tens of feet in the air that is providing you angles of everything. Uh, it is it is not the same when you're on the field when you have the sun in your eyes. The pin, you are just like one person on the field, and if you think about if you think about a football pitch, and if you can imagine your point of view through, if you can like cycle. But to each player, like, uh, and then if you were to like step into their body and see from their point of view and their eyes, you have 22 and then like 23, 24, 25 with all the referees. You're looking through 25 different sets of eyes at different angles, at different parts of the pitch, in different locations, with different varying degrees of sun in your eyes, with people blocking your view, with anything else. So, yeah, I do agree that the European referees that I see playing on like you know the European competitions and in the UEFA leagues I, I do admit that I think that their calls generally are better or do come across as more agreeable as a Liverpool fan than the Premier League referees but being a center referee is is really hard and it's really difficult and then also it's hard to call penalties because you're right as a human emotions do take over and as a human you can't there's no way to get around the emotions even as a player as a manager I mean Emotions overtake our manager and he runs out onto the field. Emotions overtake our players and they do things. So it's hard to ask another human being to be completely devoid of emotions like that. So as a center referee, you're like in your head, you get into your head 
you're like, I know that I'm supposed to treat every instance as an individual, independent moment of time where no other event has any sort of impact or weight on it all to be completely free of judgment. But at the same time, you're like, I, I, like, I can't be the center referee that calls six penalties in the first 45 minutes of the game. So like you feel this hesitation, and that's where the human error comes in. So I'm all for VAR. I think VAR is going to be great over the long term, and yeah, it might waste time, and some, and some calls might be blown every once in a while, but how many years has that happened with referees and we're not screaming, get rid of referees? So I think we should give VAR a chance for like 10, 10 years or so and reevaluate it and always try to hone it down because there's no way that football can be completely distant from how technology is changing and evolving. So yeah, that's my two cents. Well, that's brilliant. And uh, you know, I'm glad I acknowledged how difficult uh, a referee's job is before before asking you that question because I had no idea you were a certified referee. So that's excellent. Oh, well, welcome. Fantastic. It's, it's, um, it's a very, very, very difficult job. I know um, uh, because, you know, they, everybody who's a referee tells me. Uh, but uh, it also, you know, it's obvious, isn't it, how, how tough it is out there when you've got to make these split-second decisions. Um, but yes, okay, so we're, we're more or less agreed. It's, it's a good thing. I'd like to add about VAR that um, I want to see how how is going to work in set pieces with all the shirt pulling and players standing in offset position before the ball is kicked, come in in uh, be ahead of the defense line and then get into the striking position. So these sort of things that uh, referees tend to miss out. I want to see if VAR is successful in that area because um, uh, because the Premier League is the the way the set pieces are delivered in the Premier League, it, it's uh, different from all the leagues as far as I've seen. And the ball that comes in are in very good areas. They're very technical. And um, the players are really smart uh, when it comes to set pieces, uh, creating space and all that. Uh, so sometimes they try to be in an offside position, but they make it look like they're onside and tend to score goals. So I want to see more of that if if it is successful in that area. That's uh, yeah, that I means a very good point. It's a very very good point regarding offside. I mean, that's one of the great things is that if if um, you know if somebody is offside, then they can clearly see it. But yes, all the shirt pulling, all of the shenanigans. Um, you know, I think Mazd alluded to it earlier. It will, it will be very 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 interesting to see what happens and what gets punished and what doesn't and then you know you're moving into the realm of subjective uh, opinion and then it gets a bit yeah a bit shady but surely yes i mean it's it's it's, it's the 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 good outweighs the bad i mean even just for offside calls i mean um, you know, so important. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Um, I because I want to talk about Nabi Keita, uh, because I, you know, I'm just so happy he's back. Um, you know, those those injuries looked uh, bad in the African Cup of Nations, but then he's back already, and uh, I've just got a sneaky feeling he's going to be, you know, sort of the Joel Matip of 1920 in terms of, you know, someone who's just going to come on leaps and bounds and we're going to end the season uh, thinking that he's in our starting 11 and um, you know you can't drop him because he's going to be he's going to be that good and and and, and Naby I mean oh 
in that midfield next to Fabinho and then you know I don't know Jeannie Vijnaldum Henderson David oh I can't wait to see it so for me Cater can't wait to see him um, he's going to be our most improved player that's my prediction for one player who I just can't wait to watch this season um, uh, do you agree with me about about Cater Maz and, and if you were to pick one one player that you know you really really want to watch this season apart from the obvious which is you know you, your your Van Dykes and your Mo Salas who are just out of this world who who are you going to pick as a, someone you you just can't wait to watch ah that's a great question it has to yeah you actually the two players I really can't can't wait to watch are Naby Keita and, and Ox because they're just they're the, they're the midfielders that we haven't seen enough of. They're the midfielders that really excite. They're the midfielders that want to look forward, that want to take people on, that want to drive with the ball, take shots, stuff that excites us more than anything else. And with Naby, he struggled a bit with injuries last season. He did a lot of good stuff in the... What I noticed about Naby is that he's not great in the final third, but he's really, really, really good before that. He's really good in build-up. He can really do amazing stuff on the half turn. He can really... he Basically, he can beat the press as well. We haven't seen him against elite teams that much. We've seen him against Bayern a little bit. He was really good in that game. Seen him a little bit about Barca, uh, against Barca. He was really good in that game. His ability to beat the press is really good. He reminds... He's a mixture of Verratti and Thiago... He is such a unique midfielder that I think if we can unlock his potential, he will really be, he will take us to the next level. Absolutely. He will take this midfield to the next level because he's that talented. And for Ox, my God, who, like, I can't wait to see him just take some more long shots and bang into a few screamers. That will be amazing because he's another exciting player who just loves going forward. And he has a great relationship with our front three already, especially Sala. So whenever someone has a good relationship with the front three, it always helps. It always helps our attack. So that's something that I'm really excited to see. One thing about Naby, too, is that when, when we paired him with Fabinho and Henderson towards the end of the season, that midfield was starting to look really, really good, like exceptionally good and super exciting. So I'm really hoping to see more of that. And like the possibilities within our midfield are endless. We have six very good midfielders and mixing and matching them will be exciting to watch I can't I'm not gonna lie that's gonna be exciting a great answer absolutely marvelous answer yeah it's it's Chamberlain as well yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun just you know the final final thing is do you have anything for me because I thought this season would I'm just gonna give you a sort of open question if you have anything I'm sort of throwing it at you today because I only had the idea today uh do you have any any other business whatsoever, gentlemen? Do you have anything you would love to talk about? So in regards to our rivals, some, I saw some people worrying about Spurs and if they're going to be challenging us and whatnot. I really don't think people should worry about that for two reasons, really. They don't have the squad depth. They lost two, star, two important players, Lorente, who was their Divac Origi this season, and they lost... Uh, Trippier, who was their starting right back. So they lost players. They only added in Dombele, who was a great midfielder, but it's just one player, so he won't make all the difference. 
and their defense, as much as people love to think that Spurs have the best defense and Vertonghen and Alderweireld are amazing, they concede a lot of goals. They concede in the range of like 35 to 40 goals over the last three seasons. So I'm not too worried about Spurs. I don't think we should be worried about them. They'll be firmly in third and will be firmly in first or second. And yeah, one more thing about transfers as well. I've seen people, you know, I, I myself, I'm worried a little bit about why we're not making transfers. And some people make some really good threads about uh, the club finances and how we're dealing with all that. And basically what we're saying is as much as we're successful and we're making revenue, our commercial success isn't there yet with Real Madrid, with Barcelona, with Bayern, with Man United. These guys are very established. They all they have huge commercial deals that make them money year after year we're still not there yet but we're we're making that shift we're making that shift from let's face it we were at some point we were a selling club and now we're becoming a powerhouse again so we're making that transition so maybe spending money right now isn't ideal because our costs are going up astronomically as much as our revenues are so maybe the the club are just trying to balance that out this year and We'll go again next year and try to establish ourselves as a powerhouse again. Wow, what a great answer! What you know, that's absolutely tons to think about. That's that's uh, that's wonderful. I mean, I could talk for another hour just on Spurs alone, and then yeah, that commercial revenue versus all the money that we, we we're putting out there on the new contracts. Oh God, we could be here another hour. We do have to, we do have to 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 wrap it up fairly soon but I'm going to give you a chance Karen what you know anything that you would like to talk about any subject whether it's something that we've mentioned already or or something else um I don't really have anything to add about um about football but I'd like to just uh say a short quote that some people are like your mirror you may not like what you see but their purpose is to make it clearer to show you your flaws so that you become better. So if we are thinking that, I, I just want to see our rivals as our mirror so that we become better. That's beautiful. I love that. Uh, fantastic. Um, uh, Shane, what about you? Anything to add? Yes, uh, I think this is a wonderful idea, Owen, to have this like free segment at the end. Uh, just a couple of things. Uh, first off, I wanted to qualify myself as a state certified referee. I'm certified at the the two. I was certified. I don't keep up with it in the past year of the two lowest levels, and so I've only really uh, refed recreational adult leagues, uh, where you know you show up and you get paid forty bucks to to work with the thirty year olds for ninety minutes. So I don't want to tote myself as being something bigger than just you know the bottom rung. So <laughs> there's that. Oh, yeah, so I was thinking, uh, and I guess this is how I'm going to introduce it. I was thinking from now on for these segments that I would dedicate this time to a quick little segment about uh, talking about uh, some of the more like tactical side or a nuanced side or explaining like some jargon or number positioning and maybe turning my, uh, just my contribution uh, for each episode in this segment to be maybe a little bit of a show and tell educational 
not necessarily being like, oh, there's 11 players on each side of the field, kind of simple sort of way, but maybe explaining like, hey, what is a nine? What is a false nine? What do we mean when we say someone who plays in the 10, in the six role, or, you know, some maybe some other like a diamond or other tactic session? I would just call it just a, like a, maybe like just a little tactic session, but I want it to be a, a little bit more than that. So I don't know if that would be a good contribution to, you know, maybe some listeners who might be, might not be as nuanced with some of the more uh, uh, deeper things of the game. What do you guys think? Marvellous idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have a go at that over the coming season. Uh, you know, this this has been so nice to speak to, speak to you all. My, my battery's going on my, my microphone because uh, we've been talking for... I don't know, a long time now, but it's been absolutely brilliant to get back into it. Uh, thank you so, so much, gentlemen. Um, you know, um, there is hope for the new future, you know, for the near future, for the medium term, for the long term. We've got hope coming out of our ears, haven't we? This is, this is, this is the exciting time and uh, we are no longer known as the deluded Liverpool fans. We are the champions of Europe. This is real. This is real. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And thus, as this coldly indifferent yet complex and utterly beautiful planet hurtles us through time and space, towards another kickoff for another exciting season. I wish to thank you each, all of you individually, every one of you for listening and I mean that, I wish I could do that. This episode is dedicated to my dad, love you dad, and for this season I guess there's just not much to say, let's all get behind these boys, let's all get behind them together, only together, can we break through into the most mind-boggling dimensions. You remember Barcelona, you remember Origi versus Everton, and that was just two moments from an extraordinary year last year. Let's make this one just completely out of this world, and even out of the galaxy, and out of the universe. Reds.